Today on Blue 58, the Packers have come a long way this season, and their next stop in their ascension is Dallas, or Arlington, wherever the Cowboys play. It's playoff time on Sunday either way. That's the point. Can the Packers win? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink, and I am happy and excited to be with you here for another episode because we are talking playoffs. And my friends, I have playoff brain. If you have listened to Blue 58 for any amount of time, you know that this is a pretty reserved show. Try to hit it right down the middle most of the time. Don't like to get too high or too low. Don't want to get out over our skis real much. The playoffs make me lose my mind a little bit. It's nice to talk about things like how every game is precious and there are only so many of these opportunities and every season is special and stuff like that. That's all true. It's all true. Still believe it. But then the playoffs roll around and I become a little bit of a mess. For one thing, I get way too worked up about every game. Even if I know that the Packers don't have a great chance, and there are playoff games like that, it's still the idea that if they win, they could get another game, and then another game, and then another game. You keep winning enough games, and eventually you've won the Super Bowl. There's no more games to win. And I've been lucky enough to see the Packers do that twice in my lifetime. You just keep winning, and then pretty soon there's no more games because you've won them all. No more games to win because you are on top of the world. I kind of call it Conan the Barbarian brain. Because Conan, what is best in life? Crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and they hear the lamentation of the women. John, when playoff time rolls around, what is best in life? To defeat your opponents, to end their seasons in despair, and to hear their fans whining about how you've come into their place and done it again. Maybe that one is Dallas-specific. Because, boy, even if I understand that the Packers maybe in their heart of hearts admit to themselves that this is beyond what we expected for this season, even if they their social media team posted a video this week about how Nobody should doubt them and count themselves out and this, that, and the other thing, how they believed there had to be a part at every part of the organization that did not think that this was going to happen, especially at two and five, especially at three and six. But now that we're here, <laughs> I want it bad. I want to beat the Cowboys so bad. I want to beat Mike McCarthy so bad. And I like Mike McCarthy. I want to beat Jerry Jones really bad. Is it realistic? Probably no. Is it possible? Certainly. And if you focus on the possible, that starts to drive you a little bit crazy because what is best in life is always possible. If you are your absolute best, if you reach for that opportunity, it may be there for you. It may be there for the Green Bay Packers. So that is the thought that has been growing in my mind as we get ready playoff football on Sunday. So here come the Dallas Cowboys at 12 and 5. They are a little all over the map this year, but a very good football team. They've got a bunch of big wins on their record this year. Go to their pro football reference page and see what they've stacked up so far this season. 40 to nothing over the Giants, 38 to 3 over the Patriots, 33 to 10 over the Panthers, 49-17 over the Giants again. Imagine getting pummeled 89 to 17 in two combined divisional games to one opponent. Yuck. 45-10 to 10 over the Commanders. 
33 to 13 over the Eagles. The Eagles, 38 to 10 over the Commanders again. Pretty impressive resume, but also a couple big losses on there too to some pretty good teams. Maybe they don't stack up against the real good teams all that much because they've got a 42 to 10 loss to the 49ers and a 31 to 10 loss to the Bills on their cheat this year as well, as well as one really weird loss, a 2016, 28 to 16, excuse me, loss to the Arizona Cardinals. In other words, kind of a typical Mike McCarthy season. Sometimes you win really big. When things are clicking under a Mike McCarthy offense, under a Mike McCarthy team, you can just about set your watch to it. Mike McCarthy at his best in Green Bay built a program that was cash and checks each and every week. They were the same team just about every week. They were reliable. Sure, you would get a couple hiccups now and then, but by and large, you were going to get the same Green Bay Packers week in and week out for a decade, for better and for worse. And largely that, I think, is the case for the Cowboys this year, too. In one-score games, to look at that metric that we look at a lot, three and two this year, not really over or underachievers. Their record is basically who they are, what they're supposed to be. But like all Mike McCarthy teams, they are defined by their offense. That's not to say their defense isn't good, but their offense is really where it's at and what an offense it is. Mike McCarthy is running a Mike McCarthy offense this year. He wants to spread you out, and he wants his quarterback to be able to pick and choose his target based on the matchups. And, you know, I was thinking about that today. You can understand why Aaron Rodgers would like a Mike McCarthy-style offense. And I think a lot of quarterbacks, especially guys who think of themselves as really good quarterbacks, would like a Mike McCarthy offense. There has been a development in the NFL over the past, I don't know, five to seven, maybe longer years, in which there is a proliferation of offenses that almost seem to really run themselves. Ideally, you're going to have great players in every offense, but in the Shanahan tree and a lot of related offenses, the idea is that it's not quarterback dependent. You're going to create matchups through scheme and motion and alignment and stuff like that, and not necessarily through beating guys across from you. And if you put yourself in kind of an old school mentality, you can see why that would be a little bit frustrating for somebody who thinks of themselves as a good football player. I don't want to beat you through trickery or formation or things like that. I want to beat you because I am better than you and I'm doing my job better than you're doing your job. It's almost like, I don't want to get too romantic or philosophical about it, but it's almost like an affront to honor to win through formation and scheme and all of that stuff rather than just winning through matchups. But it is, I think, it whether you, you think it's the right way to play or not, it's been proven as the effective way to play in the NFL. Everybody's trying to scheme things up and make things easier for their quarterbacks rather than just putting it all on the quarterback. But you can think of it like if you were a guy like Aaron Rodgers, who's a very good quarterback or, or was at, at the peak of his powers, looking at it as the offense taking power away from him when you want the scheme to win and not necessarily win through the execution and talent of your players. But that I think that is a lost battle if that's a battle you're looking to fight. And really, why would you fight it? Because not everybody's going to have a quarterback who can win four MVPs or whatever. But the Cowboys are still running a lot of that old school type stuff. They want to run a spread offense, get the offense spread out, and let Dak Prescott pick and choose what he wants to do from there. And it's worked pretty well this year. 
Dak Prescott, is he having a career year? It's pretty darn close. 4,516 yards, second highest total of his career, 36 touchdowns, most of his career, 410 completions, most of his career, and the most in the NFL this year. 590 attempts, second highest total of his career, and his 69.5% completion percentage is the second highest number of the year. Career year or not, he is having a great statistical season this year, and he's doing it through the strength, again, of the, the Dallas offensive line and C.D. Lamb torching defenses through the air. The Cowboys' offensive line is Pro Football Focus's second-highest-graded pass-blocking team and 14th-best-graded run-blocking team. They can do what you need them to do. They are not the like road grader unit they were in like circa 2014 when they they and DeMarco Murray were just rolling over teams that's not who they are now but they are still very very good if there is a weak link it's probably right tackle Terrence Steele I would characterize him as less bad than middling uh, though I would be open to push back on that I'm not an offensive line expert but if you're going to attack someplace that seems to be the place to do it passing game is running through C.D. Lamb this year Call him the slot machine because he is there a lot. 524 snaps in the slot this year to 455 out wide. We're going to see a lot of him in the slot. And if you're wondering who is going to cover him, if you're saying, boy, we don't really have anybody who's probably going to be able to match up with C.D. Lamb. On the one hand, that's absolutely correct. I don't think there is somebody that the Packers have that could match up with him. If he was still around, maybe you stick Rasul Douglas in the slot and hope for the best. It's possible. But on the other hand, look, Better men than anybody ha- the Packers have right now, or maybe had even with Rasul Douglas, have tried and not slowed down Lamb all that much this year. 135 catches, 1,749 yards, and 12 touchdowns. On top of that, just for kicks, 14 carries for 113 yards and two touchdowns. A busy man. Put it that way. A busy man. We're going to see a lot of number 88 on Sunday. And if he's going for Flipper Anderson's record... It's it's possible. Let's just put it that way. Uh, tight end Jake Ferguson is the next on the hit list for the Cowboys. 71 catches, 761 yards, and five touchdowns for the big tight end. Then they've got perennial mercury or mercenary wide receiver Brandon Cooks. 54 catches, 657 yards, and eight touchdowns. This is the fifth team in his career for whom he has scored at least five touchdowns in a season. Strange but true fact about Cooks as well, over the first eight years of their respective careers, Devontae Adams only had about 200 more yards than Brandon Cooks. Very, very productive guy just about everywhere he's gone in his career. And uh, only in the last couple years has he begun to slow down as Adams has continued to put up tremendous numbers in his career. Cowboys, the point is, have weapons everywhere in the passing game. And I say everywhere, I've only mentioned three guys. That's all they've really needed to roll up large amounts of points. Just look between those three guys. You've got, what is it, 25 passing touchdowns just between the three of them. Aaron Rodgers last year threw for 26. It's it's a lot. They are putting up a lot of points, and these three guys have been very effective, and I'm not sure how the Packers are going to slow them down. Uh, in the run game, Tony Pollard gets the bulk of their carries just over 1,000 yards for this season. I'm not going to spend a lot of time explaining their run game or really diving into who's doing damage on the ground because I just wouldn't be overly concerned about their run game. Not that it can't hurt the Packers. It can and it will. But even if they are having a good running game, every time they choose to run the ball is still probably a net win for the Packers because they're not throwing it. And the Cowboys offense is so good through the air 
that every time they choose not to go through the air, it's still kind of a win for the Packers. Usually I try to sprinkle in some kind of maybe secret superstar or under under the radar guy or just somebody I think we should talk about in here. There's nobody really like that on the Cowboys. There's no secret star. And I think true to McCarthy's form over the years, what you see here is basically what you get. This is a Mike McCarthy team. They're going to go out and play the same kind of way they've played basically all year. And that's going to be that. They're either going to win or lose doing what they've done all season. The real question is how the Packers stop it. And I truly do not know what the Packers can or even should do here. My best guess, my hope really, is that they go down swinging. They go down trying to be aggressive rather than just sitting up and passively letting C.D. Lamb slice them up. My kind of nightmare scenario is basically week one of 2022, when the Packers sat back and played pretty conservative zone coverage, and Justin Jefferson basically ran free from the slot and got whatever he wanted in the Packers secondary. I would rather them go down being aggressive, playing or at least mixing it up, not just playing man-to-man, because I know you can't just play man-to-man all the time, even though that's the the thing everybody seems to want the Packers to do. Just be aggressive. Try to get pressure on Dak Prescott. Hope things break your way. If you can force Prescott into some bad plays, then just sit back there and letting him pick and choose what he wants from his menu of very good receivers. On defense, Dan Quinn is running the show for the Dallas Cowboys. The former king of the cover three scheme now is running primarily more than half the time just cover one stuff, one safety deep, and that's pretty much it. And uh, he's probably going to get another look at a head coaching gig here before too long, uh, probably in Seattle from the sounds of it, uh, given that uh, Pete Carroll is now moving into a new role there. Given his connections to the Seahawks, I have to think Quinn would at least be given an option. And maybe... Maybe that's the hope for the Packers. Maybe Quinn is thinking about his own future, another shot at running the show someplace, and he's not giving the Packers as much attention as he should, and who knows what could happen. And look, as far as their defense goes, we could dive into the details. We'll talk a little bit about some of their personnel, but we're just going to be belaboring the point because they're good. If they have a struggle, a couple of different places I've read, both Pro Football Focus and Sumer Sports, a couple other outlets have argued that they've um, said that yards after the catch defense is not a strength for them. They allow teams to get yards after the catch. But who doesn't? If you're scheming guys open aggressively and appropriately, they're going to get yards after the catch. That's the, the whole point. I don't know if that's as big a defensive drawback as it is just probably a function of who you've played this year. I will say that the Cowboys are not a super, super aggressive defense. They're 13th in blitz rate, so they're not just dialing it up all the time. They're right around where the Packers are, at least according to Pro Football Reference, so that's who you're looking at primarily. Pass defense, though, 7th by EPA, 7th in net yards per attempt. Basically, any meaningful measure for the defense, they're going to be in the top 10 there. Run defense, 6th by EPA, 15th by yards per attempt. I don't think we need to get suckered into running, though, because I think that if there is a a path for the Packers to victory against the the Cowboys defense, it's going to be just Jordan Love and Aaron Jones being the stars that they are and getting everybody involved in the best possible way beyond that. If there are some guys you should keep an eye on on the Cowboys defense, in addition to their stars, you know, Micah Parsons is great, Deron Bland is great, 
they have playmakers at every le- depth of the defense, at every level of the defense. But if you're going to keep an eye on a couple guys that may be vulnerable, I would call out defensive backs Jaron Curse and Jordan Lewis. This is a small thing, but the Cowboys have 11 players who have played at least 500 snaps on defense this year. Of those 11, Curse and Lewis are the only players to grade under a 60 for their season-long grade from Pro Football Focus. Everybody else is much, much higher. I've never really seen something like it, in fact. The, the Cowboys just have so many good players on defense that Curse and Lewis show out in their performance so negatively that you can't help but notice them. If you could find a way to identify and isolate them in the secondary to attack those two guys, that might be your route to some success. It's a small path, but it is a path. And that they both happen to play in the secondary probably dovetails with what the Packers do well and are going to have to do in this game. In terms of production ratio and ball hawks, quickly mentioning these three guys and both of those stats, production ratio, Mike Parsons having a certifiably great season. Production ratio of 1.88. We look at 1.0 or better as what you're trying to get to there. 1.88, fantastically good. Uh, 33 quarterback hits in addition to 14 sacks and 8 tackles for loss this year. He's been phenomenal. He will be phenomenal. And he's the guy the Packers are going to have to watch out for on Sunday. Dorrance Armstrong and Demarcus Lawrence are at .85 and .82 in terms of production ratio, uh, uh, respectively. Neither having like wildly productive seasons, but still plenty good for your second and third pass rusher. Ballhawks, cornerback Deron Bland leads the way for the Cowboys with 24, making plenty of plays on the ball. Edge rusher Micah Parsons is next with 17, most of them being sacks. And then interestingly, cornerback Stephon Gilmore is up there with 16. He is with his third team since he was traded from the Patriots to the Panthers in 2021. And if you remember that October day in 2021, the Packers were thought to be all but a sure thing to get him because he wanted to come to Green Bay if he ended up being released by the Patriots. But at the last second, the Patriots found a dance partner and were able to flip Gilmore to the Panthers uh, for some draft compensation. The Packers ended up with Rasul Douglas as the consolation prize instead with Jair Alexander banged up. Now, interestingly enough, Jair Alexander is banged up again, having a bit of a freak ankle injury in practice this week, and so Stephon Gilmore, once again, will not be able to be available to help the Packers with their Jair Alexander problem. On special teams, the Cowboys overall, good, not great, 13th graded special teams unit by Pro Football Focus. Big legs at both kicker and punter, though. Kicker Brandon Aubrey has had his kickoffs return just 7.3% of the time this year. He is 36 of 38 on field goals this year, including an amazing 10 for 10 on attempts from beyond 50 yards. Their punter is Brian Anger, 51.9 yards per punt, 45.3 net yards per punt, which means their coverage is doing a pretty phenomenal job there too. Their primary kick kickoff and punt returner is Cavante Turpin, the former MVP of the USFL and a pro bowler as a return man last year. Only 10 kickoff returns on the season for Mr. Turpin, but he's averaged 29.2 yards per return. Last week, we mentioned that the Bears had not returned many kickoffs as a team, but it seemed like they made a point of doing it against the Packers last week. 
I would not be surprised to see the Cowboys be a little bit more aggressive trying to return the ball this week, especially with Turpin back there, because it seems like a lot of teams have assumed the Packers are a little bit vulnerable in their kickoff coverage. Uh, Turpin as a punt returner, just 13 returns on the year, nothing remarkable, but again, maybe teams think the Packers are a little bit more vulnerable. I will also point out that Rich Bisaccia has been pretty aggressive searching for punt blocks this year. You can see it on a week-in, week-out basis. He is aggressively pursuing blocks. I would not be surprised if that is again the case this year. If Anger is just going to swing away and get these big kicks off, you might as well go after him if he's going to boot it deep anyway and not going to, uh, not give you great opportunities to return. Maybe the Packers really crank up the pressure and go for a punt block. Anything the Packers could do to tilt the odds in their favor would probably be quite welcome. Last time the Packers saw the Cowboys uh, was last November, barely a year ago, 14 months ago, in fact. 31-28 overtime winner Christian Watson scored two fourth-quarter touchdowns to tie it at 28. The Packers ended up winning in overtime one of, if not the last great game of the Aaron Rodgers era in Green Bay. So what have the Packers got to do to win this one? On offense, I think it starts with Jordan Love and Aaron Jones. They're going to need MVP caliber performances from both of them. They are the big sticks on offense. Jordan Love is going to have to get the most out of everybody he's throwing to in the passing game. He cannot afford to make mistakes. Possessions are going, I I get the sense the Packers are going to have a lot of possessions in this one. He is going to have to make all of them count. So as few mistakes as he can muster and as much out of his targets as he possibly can with Aaron Jones doing whatever Aaron Jones is going to do. Playing in Dallas always seems to play quite well there. They're going to need it all. Whatever Love and Jones can give them, the Packers need it for them to have a chance uh, against the Cowboys because I get the sense that the Cowboys are going to score quite a few points in this one. On defense, aggression and turnovers, just be aggressive. Don't go down being passive. Don't go down just hoping for the best. Go out and get it. They've got to get their hands on the ball. They've got to get sacks. They've got to get stops on third down. And they've got to do it, I think, by being aggressive. Sitting back and hoping for the best might work when you're playing the fairly lackluster string of quarterbacks the Packers played down the stretch this year. Not all that dissimilar from where they were in 2022, beating up on some bad quarterbacks down the stretch there. But the Packers have gotten away you know, with, with beating up on Bryce Young, on a couple backups for the Minnesota Vikings, and then Justin Fields being Justin Fields there in Week 18. Look, their last three weeks of the season, they played really well, but they also they beat up on some bad guys. Dak Prescott is better than almost every quarterback they've played for the last month put together. They've got, they've got to find a way to be aggressive and make plays as a defense, hoping that things just break their way is not going to do it. So are they going to win or lose? You know, I don't think they're going to win. But so what? I'm going to drive myself crazy hoping that they do. It's going to have to be a kind of a weird game. I don't think it's a game where the Packers just come out and play better than expected and win. It, it's not going to be a game, I don't think, like the Chiefs game or maybe the Chargers game where they got a um, just a really good all-around performance and ended up beating a pretty good team. Both the Chiefs and the Chargers are having 
worse years than I think they would have hoped. Maybe the Chargers game is actually a good example of what the Packers should be hoping for here because the Chargers, if they make the plays that were available to them, probably win that game. How many passes did the did the Chargers drop in that game? Too many to count, almost. And if they make the plays that were available to them, that the, the Packers defense allowed them to have, they probably win that game. And I don't think this is the sort of game the Packers just win in a toe-to-toe slugfest fight. I don't think they're quite there yet. But I think they can win. So even if I don't think they will, the important thing is that they can. This is still a winnable game. Even if the Cowboys are very good, even if the Cowboys, you know, do deserve to be the 12-5 and team that they are, even if they did beat up on a bunch of teams this year and get beaten a couple times pretty bad too, they are a vulnerable team. They are beatable. And the Packers, I think, are able to beat them. If the Packers have uh, play as well as they have on offense, it may not matter how good the opposing team is. But it all comes down to how well the Packers are able to play. Can they play as well as they are able to play, capable of playing? Or will they sit back and be passive and just hope things work out their way? I want to close by answering a couple of your questions as we prepare together to watch this Packers team on Sunday. Um... Given that this could be the last Packers game of the season, I, I didn't want these pack, these questions to go by the board. We had them prepped for, for last time and kind of ran out of time, but I wanted to make sure we, we had a, a chance to talk about them this time. So we'll close on, on a couple of your questions. Uh, first, Yesiah in our Discord server writes this. Matt LaFleur said a couple of weeks ago after the Panthers game that he was going to be more hands-on with the defense. How much of our defensive defensive success lately is Matt LaFleur being more hands-on or is it just Joe Barry waking up? I think it's less a factor of the coaching and more a factor of who they are playing. Because even if, you know, Bryce Young wasn't able to seal the deal, he still had a very good game, but he just wasn't able to to really kind of get it over the finish line there for the Carolina Panthers being the relatively inexperienced quarterback that he was. Um, Baker Mayfield obviously put up a pretty good game against, uh, against the Packers. Uh, but the Vikings just with Jaron Hall and Nick Mullins really didn't have the horses, I think, to compete there with the Packers offense playing as, as well as it has. And then you've got Justin Fields last week. Um, so I don't think it's Barry necessarily waking up though. I do think we've seen some changes from Barry recently. The, the fronts have been a little bit more aggressive. You've seen a lot more of Quay Walker going after quarterbacks, which is, which is very welcome. I don't think that's Matt LaFleur, um, necessarily getting more involved. Barry has shown the ability to sprinkle in some different things before. It's just that he reverts back to being passive so often. I think that's his real, real problem as a defensive coordinator, he just falls into that passivity too often. So I don't think it's Matt LaFleur getting more involved on defense. I think it's more a combination of the Packers playing some not-so-great quarterbacks, uh, those quarterbacks playing how they're expected to play, and then maybe the the sneaky other side of it is the Packers' offense playing so well that it hardly matters what the defense is doing. In the uh, in the Panthers game, that was definitely the case. The Packers' offense was moving the ball so well, and we haven't actually commented after the game about how high the standard was for the Packers' offense uh, because Matt LaFleur said he wanted even more from the offense after that game, and they scored on like seven of their ten meaningful drives. Uh, the Packers' offense played pretty well against the Buccaneers. They left some points out there, sure, uh, but the they 
largely held up their end of the deal. And if the defense had done anything more at all, anything short of allowing Baker Mayfield to be perfect, they probably win that game too. So I don't think it's Matt LaFleur getting more involved. It's probably Matt LaFleur's offense just playing that much better that the defense really doesn't matter. Eric Stats asks this question. Have we seen enough from Rasheed Walker, especially with some improvements in the run blocking recently, that tackle really isn't a top need in the draft this year? He looked awesome run blocking today in particular, and I think today, it's been a a while since we got to this question, but I think today was either after the Vikings game, may have been after the Vikings game. But in any case, Rasheed Walker has really settled in at left tackle. Uh, The timeshare there is over. He was at 100% uh, in terms of snaps against the Bears as well. He's just, he's the guy at left tackle for right now. Does that change the Packers' plans in the draft next year? I don't know if they skew entirely away from tackle, but I don't think it's a screaming need like it would have been. And teams do draft for need. Don't let them tell you otherwise. Everybody's going to say that they got the the best player available or that the guy that they picked was, uh, you know, at the top of their board, that it was just so great that the, the board broke this way, that they were able to get the guy that they liked the most at that slot. Look, they're lying to you. That's not how it works. It just can't be how it works. Teams draft for need. It's a real thing that happens. And the Packers would have had an enormous need at tackle had Rasheed Walker not really stabilized over the course of this season. If Rasheed Walker can at least be like an average starter, I think it does change your perspective a little bit in terms of how you might value some of these prospects. In any case... I think he allows the Packers to do the best thing in the draft. Just let things come to them. They don't have to go out there and try to make sure they're in position to get one of the top tackles. They don't have to to make sure that they can go up to 6 or 8 or 10 or whatever it is to get one of the top-end guys and then install him as their day-one starter. I think they still need to be drafting offensive linemen because it's something you should probably be doing every year, and they're going to need more depth at tackle regardless. Even if David Bakhtiari comes back next year, you've really got three tackles with legitimate NFL experience. You're going to have Bakhtiari, who's going to be a question mark if he's back next year, even when that is a big if, Rasheed Walker, and Zach Tom. Uh, beyond that, you're going to have Caleb Jones and maybe Luke Tenuta. It's There aren't a lot of prospects there for the Packers internally, so they still should be looking at tackles, but I think they're probably not as desperately in need of tackle help as they would have been prior to Rasheed Walker kind of emerging a little bit here. The Frozen Cheesemonger offers up this question, which is very relevant to this weekend's game. Do we regret trading Rasul Douglas? He's been phenomenal on the Bills since he arrived. He has been. He's been playing very well for the Bills and has made a lot of plays for them in the secondary as Rasheed, uh, as Rasheed, as Rasheed Douglas. I'm trying to call him Rasheed Douglas really hard here. I'm not going to do it. He's Rasul Douglas. He just makes plays. That's what he's, he's always done um, since he kind of had his career resurgence with the Packers. He's always been a playmaker. So do we regret trading Rasul Douglas? Short term, maybe. Long term, probably not. I think the Packers would love to have Rasul Douglas for this weekend. I think they would much rather have a third round pick that's under team control for four more years, because the reality is that Rasul Douglas is not a long term part of what the Packers are trying to build in Green Bay. And that's the, the tough reality for a lot of the guys that have, that have played well for the Packers, the, the veterans, really, that have played well for the Packers down the stretch here. Even if you want to bring back 
uh, Aaron Jones for 2024 or Preston Smith for 2024. The reality is that the Packers are trying to build for probably 2025 and beyond. Chances are they're, they're going to be maybe a slightly better version of what they are right now next year. How much is Rasul Douglas another year older contributing to that team or Preston Smith another year older or Aaron Jones another year older? You're going to have to debate each of those kind of individually, but the the most likely answer is probably a slightly diminished version of what they are right now. They're, that's what they're going to be for the Packers next year. And they're not part of what you're going to, to want to build for long-term. And that's really why the Packers made the deal that they did for Rasul Douglas, not because they don't think he's a good player or that they would love to have him around. It's just that they would rather have that other asset that's going to be under team control for four years because that's how long your rookie draft pa- or draft pick contract is. And that's what the Packers are going to get uh, with whatever they do with that third round pick. Or you also have the opportunity to trade that asset more easily than a Rasul Douglas and move up in the draft if that's something that you decide that you want to do. We'll close with this. And I think it's a, a relatively, uh, not not even a relatively, a very relevant question for where the Packers are this weekend. Scott Westfall emails in with this one. I think it's noteworthy Speaking of, this is, I add a little context here. In the last episode, we talked about quarterback development. And that's been a question that's been kind of bumping around Packers Internet a little bit this week. Uh, but Scott writes in with a follow-up question to what we said on the last uh, episode, uh, writing this. I think it's also noteworthy that anytime the Packers have moved to a new quarterback, they've also had an established coaching staff. When Rodgers came up, McCarthy had already been to an NFC Championship game with Brett Favre. Now, with Love, you have LaFleur established. So many teams draft a quarterback in the first round and throw them to the Wolves. And how many of these quarterbacks are also being coached by a coach that's new to the team or even a first-time head coach? I don't think this part of the transition process can be ignored. It's a great point, and it's something um, I should have done a better job of articulating because I think one of the best things you can do in the NFL, whether you're an executive or a coach or a player, is know who you are. If you know what you are, you know your strengths, you know your weaknesses, and you have a good grasp of how to achieve the things that you want to achieve uh, with the tools that you have in place. If you know who you are as a general manager, you can compensate for those shortcomings. If you were a good college scout, but you're not so good at pro personnel, you put some people in place who are able to beef up your pro personnel scouting department. If you're a a great offensive head coach, but maybe you need some help in the run game um, to supplement the the great pass concepts you want to implement, you are able to to put some people in place to do that. And you know what works in terms of the scheme and philosophy that you want to run. Because everybody who aspires to be a, a head coach is piecing those things together behind the scenes. They're they're working on the concepts that they want to implement. They they're thinking you know, I, w- I want to do things this way when I get to, to run my own staff. And when you get into that position, you quickly figure out, you know, if you've done any amount of coaching, you know this is the case. You quickly figure out that there are some things that work and some things that don't. You have to kind of learn on the job. And to Scott's point here, a lot of rookie coaches or, or rookie rookie quarterbacks are coming into situations where everything is new. You've got a new general manager who's trying to build a team figuring out what they have and what they don't have and what they're trying to get. You've got a rookie coach who's trying to figure out how to implement 
what he wants to do for the very first time ever. And then they have to go out there and figure out where they fit into all of those things while they're trying to figure out how to be an NFL quarterback for the first time. That is a, an extra layer of challenge that I think goes by the board sometimes, that goes um, under-discussed or forgotten. When you're, when you're like Aaron Rodgers or, or Jordan Love, or even, I guess, Brett Favre to an extent, you're coming into a situation where the coach has been there for a little bit. He has at least worked out some of the things that he wants to work out, and now he can give you more attention that you probably need as a young quarterback to help you along your way toward becoming the, the quarterback that you need to be. That's an important thing, and I think it's a big part of why Jordan Love has come along the, the way that he has this year um, because the program was in place. Also worth remembering that through a lot of the season, it was a pretty open question whether that program that was in place could work because the, the rookies were not getting with the system. They were not performing like they should have. The system didn't look like it could adapt to those rookies. And Jordan Love didn't look like he was in sync with the system or the rookies, leading to a lot of questions about Matt LaFleur. Now we don't have a lot of those same questions that we did back in late October, but um, I think it shows the value of, of some of those things that we've been talking about here in how the Packers were able to grow. And grow they have, and a chance for some even more growth as they head toward Dallas this weekend. Look, again, I'm excited for this game. I want this game bad, and I think... You know, even as I sit here and try to be even-handed about it, I know that I'm going to be pacing the walls, or pacing the walls, climbing the walls, all day on Sunday, waiting for for Sunday afternoon, waiting for 4:30 Eastern time, um, just waiting for kickoff. I know the Packers can win this game. They can. I don't want to say they should. I kind of want to say they must, like comically, cars, karmically, cosmically the the arc of the universe needs to bend toward a Packers win here. I feel like it's almost their destiny that they have to. And that's why I'm going to be so disappointed if they end up losing. But that's just the way it goes being a fan. You got to embrace that disappointment, knowing that it's going to come each and every year. Chances are you're going to be disappointed. But going in with, with eyes wide open, welcoming that disappointment and setting yourself up for it. I guess that's what it's all about. And it's going to be fun either way. In any case, that's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I'd appreciate it even more if you'd take a second and share it with someone you think would enjoy it. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved with this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.